I'm so damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 So, Courtney, the first time I met you was during a job interview mm -hmm. that I had uh, at the New Victory Theater uh, as the uh, Education Programs Associate. And, and you, uh, you are the Director of Education School Engagement there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting to hear about you know, your origin story and the idea that you were floating around and unsure and that, you know, you didn't have experience and you were striving for these things because I met you, you know, as a, a formidable uh, pillar of the field of uh, educational theater as, as far as I, I understood. So it is, it is very uh, uh, sort of wonderful and delicious to hear about you know, what, like where you began. Mm -hmm. But, but certainly I, I must say that, you know, right now you, you certainly have, you know, taken your place, uh, as, as one who, you know, holds, uh, a lot of, uh, influence and, and, uh, uh, power and, uh, you know, can, I would say is a mentor to many people, uh, in this field. So I, you know, I guess I'm curious about how you, uh, how you came to the New Victory Theater mm -hmm. and, uh, and your journey there. Yeah. So, uh, the New Victory Theater is, um, the premier theater in New York City for, that presents work specifically for kids and families and really focuses on New York City kids and families, um, it opened in 1995. There's a whole wonderful, long and gorgeous history to the theater itself, um, as well as um, the organization that started it. And um, so the New Victory is a project of the new 42nd Street. Um, and I've learned so much over the time. But the, th the first time I heard the New Victory Theater was while I was in grad school. Um, the first time I heard it was in that Theater for Young Audiences class. So that was my first semester, but contextually wasn't hitting yet. And one of the people in my other class, leaders in educational theater, chose it as their organization. So I did learn a bit about it, but it wasn't striking me as a place that I should be working necessarily at that time. Um, when I was in the study abroad, oh, sorry, prior to that, uh, I was supposed to go see a, 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 a show that was made for kids. I chose um, a show called Tom's Midnight Garden that was playing at the New Victory Theater. I saw it in 
so it must have been a weekend. Um, so there were a lot of kids and families. And um, I remember I was sitting in the orchestra because it was a pretty affordable f- seat <laughs> or ticket. Um, so I was sitting in the orchestra uh, and really impressed by the warmth that I was greeted with. Um, and then just being in an audience of families, I don't normally at the time I wasn't going to see shows. I was mostly going to see shows that were made for adults and it was adults in the audience with an occasional kid. Right. So to flip that, it was really impressive and different and exciting. There was a buzz in that audience that I don't feel is, is present as present necessarily in a, when you're seeing a play with adults. Um, and then the play itself was, uh, by the unicorn theater that's located in, in London and really focuses on making, uh, shows for kids. And it was such a good play. It was, um, it's about this little boy who, uh, like goes through a door and through that door is like this imaginary world or something like that. And it was just well acted and it was, the set was really clever and I was very impressed. And so I wrote my review and was really impressed by all the things. Right. So that was my first, um, real experience with the new victory. And then I, and then of course, you know, you hear about it a lot. Um, and when I was in, in the study abroad program, um, Nancy Swartzell, who actually started the program at, at NYU, the educational theater program in 1964 with her husband, Lowell Swartzell. Uh, she was talking about how, um, they, there was a new director of education there and she was from the program. Her name is Edie Demas and she's just making things happen. And she was, seemed really proud of her. And I, of course, had no understanding at that point of what kind of relationship she had, uh, with, uh, Edie. And so I remember, th- I remember when she was talking and I can see her right now and thinking, wow, that moment, like the way she's talking about it, she must be amazing. and then thought nothing more of it. (laughs) Uh, And somebody that I was in grad school then was actually had just gotten hired and was working there. And so I was really impressed that somebody from the, from my program is now working at the, uh, at the, um, the new victory theater and was great. So now I'm nearing the end of my time at the, at NYU. I'm, it was a two year program. It's now, you know, 2003, uh, April, May. And I also had, um, gotten a job as a part-time associate program associate for Empire State Partnerships. Um, so that is a little, it's a little complicated, but basically NISCA, New York State Council on the Arts, um, had this whole program where, and they still do this, but it, 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 the scope has changed a little bit, but at the time they had these Empire State Partnership, um, grants. They would award, um, a multi-year pro, uh, grant to schools to partner with a specific arts location, uh, organization, excuse me, around New York state. Um, and then each, each area or each region would have like a network. And then in the summer, they, everybody would get together for a professional development week. Uh, and so that, so once you became, you were awarded that you were an empire state partner, empire state partnerships was associated to NISCA, but was its own sort of entity to support these, these, um, the professional development aspect of, 
uh, for the teachers, for the teaching artists and the arts administrators. And so I was hired to help coordinate the, the summer seminar. So that professional development. What was great about that program or that position for me was actually a, a ton. One was I got to learn so much about New York State, arts in New York State, um, better understand this concept of partnerships in terms of school programming and the idea that the arts can transform a school and school culture. Um, I was in the room with really, really smart people like Ted Berger, like Jane Reamer, like Phil Alexander, who was my boss. And um, actually, he was working at Roundabout when I was there as an intern who's now like a really super duper friend. Um, so I was just being surrounded by people who had a great deal of knowledge and um, I was like a sponge. And again, I had this opportunity to just really apply my administrative skills to the arts in a way that I hadn't really thought of, you know, when I had that office job at 22 or when I was working at Chelsea Piers, I wasn't thinking that these skills were transferable, but they absolutely were. So I'm really strong at, you know, communicating via email and being able to make phone calls and call people and my customer service skills were on point, you know, all those things, um, made me a strong administrator, which wasn't necessarily what I was thinking. I was thinking about being a teaching artist, right? So, um, Meanwhile, I'm teaching at Roundabout. I'm still in grad school, but now I'm graduating. And um, that part-time job became a full-time job just for the summer and then was going to go back to being a part-time job. So I was thinking, okay, I'm graduating. I got the sweet gig, these two sweet gigs. I'm, I, I would like to continue working as a teaching artist. Uh, if I could work for two more or just add two more organizations that I believe in, I feel like I'll be good. Yeah, I'll be good. So uh, at the time, Empire State Partnerships was actually housed in one of the Empire State Partners at the Metropolitan Opera Guild. So I was in 70 Lincoln Plaza, the Rose Building, uh, 7th floor, and in this little tiny closet of, <laughs> of an office. But, you know, I also got to go outside and sit in that um, quad and just like, eat it up. It was, uh, I really liked working there actually. It was very pleasant. Um, and then I was traipsing around and going to the different schools that I was teaching at. And I had a couple other teaching artist gigs too, but, um, uh, part of Metropolitan Opera Guild, they have a program called COO. I'm forget creating original opera. Um, and so I thought if I could work for them and who else, who else does really cool work? Oh wait, what? New Victory was looking for teaching artists and apparently, and I didn't realize that that at the time it was the first time that they were looking for teaching artists. So I applied to be a teaching artist there and I was trying to, I was trying to work an angle (laughs) a little bit, um, with the Metropolitan Opera Guild. And, um, that was a harder thing because they weren't necessarily hiring. So I I couldn't quite get in, but I thought, okay, well, if I get into, uh, the new victory theater. I still have this part time gig. If I have to find another job, I will, whatever I got to do, you know how to hustle, hustle. Right. So I was just going to do, but I wanted to get my foot in someplace. Okay. So meanwhile, new victory also put out a posting for an education associate, full-time position. Um, and you know, f- for my mindset at the time, I was like, I'm not, 
I already have an administrative job and it's part-time and it's perfect because it allows me to like be a be flexible. And I just, I, I really feel like I should, I should, if I could be a teaching artist at Roundabout, like I was really goal oriented in that way. And I, I talked to my friend David who was working there at the time, uh, because we were involved in a project, an artistic project. And, um, I, anyway, I was asking him about it, but I was like, I know you probably can't tell me everything, but like, what's it like to work there? That's all I asked. I was like, what is it like to work there? I'm really excited. And what are you guys thinking about your teaching artists? And he was like, yeah, I'll tell you about that. But I think you should apply for the associate position. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about the teaching artists. And he told me, but then that's when I learned it was the first time. And I was like, oh my goodness, that would be really exciting. And oh, it's a team teaching model. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and then I, and then again, I was like, so what is it like to work there? And he's like, why don't you apply? for the associate position. And I was like, um, yeah, I'll look into it. And then he even like followed up and was like, why don't you, I haven't seen your application. Why don't you apply? And I was like, oh, okay. So then I applied, (laughs) but still I was like, well, I don't want me applying for this full-time position to negate the, and so I sort of tried to put that in the scope. But what I wasn't understanding internally was that they were hoping to hire the full-time position before the auditions for the teaching artist gig. Anyway, so when I uh, came in for my first round interview, that was that was the first time I met Edie. Um, we had a really interesting interview. I, I don't know if I was nervous. I, I, really, I really felt like, you know, here's this moment where I'm meeting somebody. And maybe I, I met her before, but I'm meeting somebody who had been sort of up uh, put on a pedestal by NYU and she just seemed like a nice lady to me you know what I mean so I was like oh I wonder what it is and but when she spoke she spoke in a way that reminded me very much of Margie Savante and so that was sort of intriguing and exciting to me and I remember asking very vividly and clearly what is what do you expect the person in this position like what are you what do you want this person to do and and how and she said, well, I have to be honest with you. We've been interviewing for a while and we haven't quite, I haven't really quite found the right person. Um, this is a, this is, this is a person who will be running a program that is fairly new to us. Uh, it's a, it was a class, it's a classroom workshop program, um, going in before and after kids see a show and, uh, we're getting, um, resumes that are either all teaching or all administrative and I need somebody who understands both sides and because you have teaching experience and teaching artist experience and you have this strong administrative background that's excite that's a, something that we haven't quite seen that's a nice hybrid because one of the things that was very concerning to me was I was just getting my feet wet as an artist teaching as a teaching artist and I didn't want to lose that because I felt like, and I think most people do is that when you're an arts administrator, you're just stuck behind a desk all the time. And what was great about Edie was that she's being really honest where I was like, I need to teach because I really love teaching. I don't want to lose that part of me. And you know, it, it makes sense that if you're having somebody who's building a program that is about teaching and working with teaching artists that they should also teach. And so that was actually built into, and she had already, I think, planned this out um, before I said anything, but I think maybe, maybe 
because I was saying that so strongly, like I can do all these administrative things. Absolutely. That's no, I have no doubt about that. It's the teaching piece and like being able to work with artists who that's what they do. I'm really interested in that. And so because it was a team teaching model, which was very exciting to me, I'd been in what was called a teach a team teaching model around about, but it was one teaching artist teaming up with a teacher, which is not quite the same as our model. Um, I was talking a lot about that in the interview and I think, well, obviously I got hired. So, (laughs) so I think I impressed her, which is great. But what I sort of solidified that I knew I had made an impression at the very least was that she, after the interview, she said, you know, we're actually downstairs. There's, um, the programming department is conducting a focus group with our young people who are youth core, um, about the programming and, would you like to come and, and I was supposed to join that. Would you like to come with me? You know, who gets that kind of invitation, right? So when I went down, it was, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling all the things. So Alex Timbers was working at the, at the roundabout, um, sorry, at new victory in the programming department. And so he, I didn't know who he was at the time, but, um, nice guy, really nice guy. <laughs> but if you know, Alex Timbers, he's pretty, he's pretty major now in, Oh, you don't know? Oh, well, he's a pretty major director. Um, he directed Rocky and a whole slew of other really tremendous um, productions on Broadway, like um, Bloody Bloody Peter Jack- uh, Andrew Jackson, excuse me. Um, something about a Melden Marcos. I'm forgetting that play, but he's pretty major in, in the in the world <laughs> of theater. And, and um, he just got a, did he just get an award? Anyway, he's awesome right now he's he's um directed uh oh hello yeah uh so i knew him when (laughs) uh anyway so he's down there uh talking to these two really great young men um who i still am am, uh in touch with i see one all the time he's in hotel concierging and another one who's a police officer uh, I want to say in Maryland, maybe Virginia. Uh, anyway, so there, there's you know, lovely young men be answering these like ran like questions that I would think were random if I were them, about like what do you want to see on stage? And I think what was happening at the time was they were really trying to build up or trying to figure out how to how to look for uh, quality pieces for teen audiences. I think that's what happened because event soon after we were starting to do that more and more. Um, but it was such a, like a lovely conversation. And I thought to myself, wow, like a, this lower lobby is pretty rad. Uh, B, I love that they're talking to these young men about what it is that they want. And the way that they're talking to them is not pedantic in any way. There's like, it's a, it's a real discourse, which the idea that they can be so respectful to young people, um, whether they, you know, know that they're doing it or not, or being intentional about it or not is really impressive. And so I remember walking away from that first round interview and being like, yeah, this could be a, this could be kind of awesome. Even though I was still in the mindset of teaching artistry. Um, anyway, so, so second round interview again, you know, I'm, I'm really keen. And then when I got the offer, it took me a minute. I was like, give me, can I just think about it? Because I really knew that it was going to be a paradigm shift for me in my thinking. And I decided I would take the job for a year 
and see where it goes. And in that first year, it was wonderful and tough all at the same time because there were many different expectations of me that I couldn't fulfill. And then there were other surprising uh, uh, um, surprises that I was like, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And um, it was also um, hard because I had been on this flexible schedule for so long, for so long that it was hard to get into like, oh, I have a nine to five. I have, oh, there's, and there's, you know, there's professionalism and these other things that, so it was a little clunky. I'm not going to lie. It really was clunky, but the parts that were great were really great. The model that was born was tremendous. Um, the ways of getting there were exciting and challenging. Um, Edie is definitely a visionary. Um, and it, it took a, it took her and I a minute to like get, get our groove going. But once we did, um, which was more, more so in year two, um, it became a re I thought, I think, um, you know, she was my boss for about, uh, seven years. Like she left in 2000, 2010. Yeah. She left in 2010. So yeah, seven years, seven years. So one of the best bosses I've ever had. Um, but it took us a minute to find each other, you know? Um, but once we did, there was always this really exciting sort of powerful, like I, <laughs> I would walk into our office and be like, Edie, I was, I was eating breakfast. I was drinking my coffee. I was like getting dressed and I, th- I had this crazy idea and we'd like talk it through and like keep brainstorming and sort of pushing. And, and that was always very, very exciting to me. And I hope that I, I do that with my staff too, because, um, I love it when they come to me and like, I had this like spark thought, right. That's, that's the same kind of thing that would happen with me and Edie. Um, so she was a great example for me to be able to, uh, think about what kind of supervisor you are, what kind of, how do you manage people, how you need to be managed by your people, um, how you need to be honest and clear, um, how you want to give room for goals and growth. And, um, and I see that with teaching artists too, you know, like you want to, you want people to grow within the scope of the work. You want them to increase their skills because it's good for your own organization, but it's also good for the field in general and builds investment. When, when you hire teaching artists, what are you looking for? Mm. Looking for the art are they really an artist or are they a teacher masked as a teaching artist? Do you know what that, that looks like? A, that looks some kind of way. It really does. You can just tell the people who are teachers and not artists. I don't know how, I don't know how, but one of our root, one of the things on our rubric is artistry. Like, are they able to show us through their teaching what type of artist they are? Are they modeling and through that model, I know what kind of artists are. Are, are they using really strong um, uh, performing arts literacy or vocabulary and getting the people that they're teaching to utilize it as well and understand it and actually practice it in that moment? Um, are they warm? Are they like, what's their personality or their teaching artist persona? And by persona, that might sound like character, but more about are they bringing their 80%? Um, are they actually passionate about what they're 
teaching. Are they excited about this? And if they're not, you can tell. Or if it's rote, you can tell. Um, so is it something that you can tell that they're passionate about? Um, are they clear? Um, when they give an instruction, is there a wave of quizzical looks on faces or a whole bunch of hands that get raised with questions or are they like, okay, and they get to work? Um, are they just talking or are they getting you to talk or move or make? Is it their show or yours? Those are the things that I look for. I look for it to be, I'm just a guide here. You are the makers. I'm somebody who could show you what possibly could be made and then you make. Uh, and uh, uh, big, the biggest thing, uh, um, not the biggest thing, but the, another important piece is like, uh, are we also like talking about what it is that we just did? Are we reflecting? So question asking. Um, and, uh, you know, in an audition kind of setting, is everything going to be perfect? No. I, you don't expect it to be perfect, but you do want to see those things. Um, and frankly, you know, in, in that first round, we hired some of the best teachers, really like the best of who we had, uh, audition. And so year after year, you've got to, you got to keep picking people up that can pick up and work with people who are really, really good. Um, and you know, sometimes you hire somebody where you're like, they're going to grow in and that's okay. And we know that. And there are plenty of people that, you know, still work there that when they started, they were going to grow in and they certainly have and beyond. Um, and then, you know, you hire some people who have a, a wealth of experience and they're going to, they're going to elevate the, the ensemble in a way that you can't quite imagine, but you're really excited about it. And then there are others that you audition and you're like, you're a real artist you don't know nothing about teaching and you're not actually interested in this. That's a gig. It's a gig for you. And that's not what we're about here. Um, or you're a really skilled teacher and that's fantastic, but that's not this place. Like we need artists. And I think the idea of artists being first, in my opinion, it may be grounded in the fact of where I work. So the, the idea that we work with some of the most prolific artists from around the world has huge influence on what we're looking for in terms of our teaching arts because they are teaching around each of those productions. And so if you don't have somebody who has artistry as part of as a huge chunk of who they are and who they lead with, they're not going to appreciate this. And then that's not going to translate into the, a classroom setting as it, as it, the program actually requires. So um, that's what I look for. And also like, do I want to work with this person? Like, can they collaborate? It's a team teaching model. So you can't be a solo artist. That's just not, this isn't the place for you. Like no worries. Love solo performance, love, you know, people who love to create on their own, but that's not what this place has been built on and around. And it doesn't really represent a whole lot of the way that the works that we present are, are set up either. So you've been in a position to mentor and support teaching artists uh, through the context of the New Victory for like 13 years. Yeah. This is your 14th year? Or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, sort of through that time, you know, you, you approached me about this 
teaching artistry podcast mm-hmm. project. Can you can you talk about how this project came about? Why yeah. why you uh, were inspired to make this project? Yeah. Um, so over the years, I've worked with some amazing teaching artists and. I also, right from the get-go in grad school, actually, I went to the face-to-face conference, which is um, New York City Art, uh, New York City Arts and Education Roundtable. Um, they have a yearly conference. Um, eventually, I got involved with being like on the panel and the conference committee and other committees. Like, and there was a, pr- a committee called the Teaching Artist Committee. Um, or teaching arts affairs committee. And um, when I first got there, it seemed a little bit of a, a side note. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what it felt like to me. Um, and eventually it became a co-chair of that and um, tried to figure out ways for there to be more, a, a stronger focus on teaching artists from, from the round table. Um, and that has definitely permeated I don't know if it was just me I'm just saying that that was my particular hope um and going to other conferences and just like learning more about and having more more and more conversations about being a teaching artist and what that means uh I also teach a course at NYU in the educational theater department called the teaching artist which frankly I inherit not inherited but like Edie taught first I think Russell Granite taught it at some point and then it was offered to me and I, I definitely pushed for it. I wanted it. And, um, and push means I, you know, showed up and kept asking about it. Um, but I think Edie also recommended, which was, you know, great. Um, so I've been teaching that for the last five years, um, or more. Yeah. Or more. Uh, so our, I'm always in these conversations and then I've, uh, more recently I've been able to, um, spend and work alongside with Eric Booth on certain teaching artist projects. So I'm, I'm talking about teaching artists a lot. I'm thinking a lot about our own teaching artists, uh, in terms of how do we continue to grow their skill sets as a, as an ensemble, both within the scope of our work and beyond, um, and build each year building a strong teaching artist professional development program from the general training that happens every year at the top of the season, September, throughout the year. And spring is a great time to be able to add in specific uh, uh, topics that are being asked for or that we're seeing as a deficit or a, a growth area um, by bringing in outside facilitators, guest facilitators to work alongside the teaching artists to impart uh, either teaching practice. So we used to have, uh, we've had Jonathan Nealon's working with them and doing process drama. And that is not necessarily what we do, but there are elements of going through that process um, and that professional development that uh, permeate and work within our, our, the scope of our programs or having Russell Granite coming in and um, talk either uh, focusing us on like really working as a stronger ensemble or working with um, students with disabilities and what that means and how, how you can apply your good teaching practice to working with different populations and making sure it's inclusionary um, to the point where we have a pillar called arts for all. So we make sure we're really thinking about everybody, all the populations that we work with. What are the pillars? Um, Right. So uh, the new victory has uh, a set of 
the education department has a set of um, education uh, guiding pillars. We used to have a set of uh, a different version, but a a set of uh, core values that were um, called the guiding principles that were devised, uh, led by Edie, but devised by the whole ensemble um, staff and teaching arts together. And there were six of them then. And they were long and lofty, deliciously hard to say um, sentences, but the meaning behind them were pretty real about it. It was about like really investigating the art form, honoring kids' prior knowledge, um, you know, utilizing performing arts um, literacy and vocabulary, um, asking really deep questions and making connections. Um, And then uh, when myself... And my counterpart, Lindsay Buller-Maliakal, came into being directors, we realized it was time to sort of relook at all of those in a a meaningful way. And we were a new team, a new new leadership team, a new team of teaching artists were coming in. Um, It was new staff. It was just a time to relook at all of that. And we actually decided to take our time with it. So uh, over about a two-year period, we... Uh, revised and redeveloped uh, what our core values are, uh, mainly because the guiding principles were, uh, the original ones were really focused on the classroom workshop program. And the education department does more than school engagement. It does, uh, and, you know, it has grown, but it was always doing work with families. It was always doing work with teachers um, and, and students. And so the big thing for us was, you know, here you have a director of education, school engagement, and a director of education, public engagement. And now we need a set of foundational guiding principles or core pillar or core values, or what is now called our pillars, um, that encompasses all the work that we do. And so we have six now, and we still debate about them. Um, but rather than these sort of sentences, they're words. And so the pillars are arts for all, art form, create, community, discovery, and play. They don't all match, <laughs> and that's okay. Um, but they encompass what we do. And I think the play was the most exciting part of what we added to because we really have uh, this undercurrent of a sense of play in all the programs that we work with and all the people that we work with our constituents values are very important. Oh yeah. Um, and the fact that as a large group of nearly 60, 60 plus people that we all need to have tenants that we, we understand how to develop the curriculum, how to continue to think about program quality, um, and our teaching practice and our, uh, approaches to working with different people that we do that in our particular organization, um, they're not necessarily the pillars of the whole organization. Like there's a whole other, there's a mission and there's some guiding principles and we have a roadmap of goals and whatnot, but they all sort of call up towards that and everything sort of falls under the mission itself. So in terms of education, we, we need to be able to understand and not be all over the place, right? All over the map. And um, I think that what's also good is that even though it, you know, with the new leadership in the, in the education department, we re-examined and then 
you know, completely revised, we had been doing that along the way. So there would be some language tweaks or we would talk about how, what do we think they mean now? So we were always uh, pretty reflective um, in our practice in general. What I was trying to do is lay a background of like how much I think about teaching artists of course. and and my work. Uh, the fact that I have so many artists in my life, both as as part of my you know personal life as well as in my professional life. And I thought, I feel like you know I've learned a great deal. I I myself feel like I'm also a teaching artist. I may not you know teach as much uh, in that in that way uh, right now as a director, which is terrifying terribly sad um but I feel like I have something to offer and so I think originally I was thinking you know could I create a book Michael Wiggins wrote a book and it's really good and I use it in my course and could I create a book that would also be utilized because you know continuing when I first started teaching the course there were there were pedagogical resources but not teaching artist related resources and now I feel like I have an abundance and yet it's still not all right and or as much as it could be and so what could I add to the canon that is exists at the moment um but I I just don't know I mean books feel very academic that feels very academic to me and I've designed the course itself to be more practical than than all academic it's sort of half and half and I'm really trying to give people practical tools that if you really want to emerge into this field by the time you're done with this program or this this course you should be able to get a job as a teaching artist um, and that's what I wanted I didn't want it to be philosophical I want it to be you get some skills and you're on your way um, so what can I add to what I feel like is missing from my course? And um, I have, again, I have a, a great deal of resources now that I use. Um, but I had a moment where I was like, okay, I can write a book, but what it would it be really like, it's not me. I'm not the one who holds all the information. So I could, I was reading um, the element by Sir Ken Robinson I haven't finished it, but I'm inspired by it. And so much of like reading him or pretty much any professor, really. There's always like, I have this story. I was talking to this person. And there's their story, which means that they interviewed them. Right. And so I thought, oh, that'll be fun. I love talking to people and recording that and thinking about, you know, how then do I shape that into a book? And then I said, well, that's, that's been done. That's been done. And so this whole concept of podcasts had been in my world for only a few years, you know, although it's been around for quite some time, but it's like, why don't I just have the conversations and then people can listen to them (laughs) pretty much. Um, And that's sort of when, when I thought of that, I thought of that about a year ago, sometime in December. And then I think I approached you in maybe February. Also, the other thing is I felt like, you know, it's time, the immediacy of a podcast versus a book and needing to get it published or self-publishing or all that stuff that there was just, it was going to be easier to get to the masses in this, in this platform. And I just like to talk. (laughs) I like to talk and I like to talk to my friends and I, um, I had them. I've, I've, in one of my many, many scenes, I had a talk show when I was a kid. 
Definitely. So this is the closest thing I feel like I could get to a talk show and be Oprah. <laughs> but, but again, around this idea of being a teaching artist and what I find really, really exciting about, again, being surrounded by artists is that there is uh, a passion there that I have seen in no one else uh, who is in any other pres- kind of profession. Um, and I, I'm, I'm affected by that and inspired by that. And I want others to feel, I want others, others to know the people that I know. And I want others to feel inspired by the people that do work that I think is astounding and that they don't all have to be also teaching artists. I want more people to understand what it is that teaching artists do that don't necessarily understand it at the moment. You know, in in many of the conversations that we have, you know, there's there's a lot of emotions that come up, you mm. know, that are like we we talk about the core values, the philosophy of this field of this work, and it resonates deeply. It, like I feel it deep in my human place, you know, like it's it's really um, I don't know. It's like it feels like how one should strive to live a just and righteous life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing with us now, like sort of what what are your core values? Like what is your pedagogy? What is your teaching philosophy that that sort of underpins your notion of of teaching artistry? Yeah. So going back to working at Roundabout, um, our ch- teaching artist training t- definitely was about the, you know, what what is your what are your core values? I don't know if it it was more about your teaching philosophy. And uh, we were to make a a self-portrait of whatever that was. And I drew myself on a stage with a star and a big, like, um, bubble coming out of my mouth. And it looked like I I wanted to be a star, but that wasn't it. It It was the bubble that was the more important piece. And finding a platform for kids... And for me, like I'm obviously I'm like the, the second half of my title is school engagement. So I'm very focused on um, working within school settings. But very, I feel like there are people who are voiceless. Young people feel voiceless. I think teachers can feel voiceless. I know artists and teaching artists feel sometimes like they are voiceless. And so the, I feel like that is my, um, that is an underpinning for me that, we all have a voice. We all should be able to use it. And if you feel like you don't have that ability, you do. And I'm somebody who can find a way for that. And that can manifest in many different ways. Um, so it's not your actual voice necessarily, but it is a way of expressing yourself and, and feeling heard. Not only heard, but listened to. Um, and that is something that I, I do. I may not always retain everything, um, but I see images and I, I recognize and I feel, and there is, um, energy that you can just, um, give and take or share. Um, and then it becomes sort of a synergy, right? Is that mine? Anyway, so the, yeah, that's, that's, that is definitely the underpinning. I think that's why this podcast is, it's a, it's very anchored in that, you know, I want to pull the veil back. Um, I want to give, um, people 
not just people that I know, (laughs) although that's where we're starting with, but like, I want to give people who do this work a platform for being able to share that what it is they do and why it is that they do it and what they hope to gain and where do they want to go. I want people who are interested in coming into this field to feel like there's a place for them to learn, um, a place for them to um, recognize themselves and other artists um, and feel inspired to continue to, you know, grow in their, in their skill set, to continue to practice their art, to believe that what they do does have an impact. Um, because I know, I know it does. It does. Um, I often think about my, uh, both my parents, actually, my mom who, uh, is quite an introvert (laughs) and does have this sort of quiet way of have impacting people and doesn't always do it verbally, you know, where, and then the, the flip of it where my dad was very, um, I think he was actually an introvert, but like was very verbose and very, uh, uh, you know, in your face and very intelligent in a way that sometimes could be quite intimidating. So I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle of those two where I want to be able to, uh, reach people, but I also want to create the space where you then get to express whatever it is that you want to express. Um, and for my mom, it was like reading and, and, you know, sort of being in an imaginary world. And my dad, it was about math and the literary world, but in real life, you know, all of that has a, has a, that all, all that colors how you see the world. And what I'm interested in is I want to know how others see the world and how what they do has an impact on what they see in the world. Thank you, Courtney. Um, why, why do we need art in the world? <laughs> yes. I ask this question, don't I? Oh, yeah. Ooh. JFK. I'm paraphrasing, but JFK said, we need art to know beauty. We need to save art so that we understand beauty. Again, I'm so paraphrasing, but this is the basic tenets. And there's a beautiful quote in the Kennedy Center that is the real thing. (laughs) But he, he wasn't wrong, you know, like... I don't want to get too political, but in, in over the years, centuries, dismantling art is a terrorist or a, a power play, destroying art, um, not allowing people to do art. Art has the ability to put a mirror to the world. Art also has a, a, the ability to show the kind of world that we want to live in. Art gives hope. So as a power play to dismantle or destroy art is to destroy hope. And that is so messed up. And frankly, you know, I mean, you can look at just like major disasters like September 11th, how people can heal from such a such a hard hard event a hard crazy crazy experience as that 
through art? Um, I think what's hard is to, to distinguish between art and entertainment sometimes. Um, art, art is, um, it has the ability to, to, to reach in, like you said, to, and touch your heart in the most human places. It, you could see something I'm about to cry. <laughs> like you can see something that, um, or feel something or hear something or touch something that touches you to the deepest core that you don't even know exists that makes you feel alive. And imagine, um, Imagine that you get to give that gift to somebody else. And I think that's what teaching artists do. <laughs> teaching artists do. Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've really, you've shared so much with us about your journey and about your feelings and your philosophy. And, you know, in, in I've, I've had the honor to, to produce these different interviews to sit in and listen to your questions and your conversations with, uh, you know, your, your colleagues and, you know, the sort of the things that come up is this idea of hard work mm. and also these, these people who inspire this, you know, the, your parents come up many times yeah. throughout this and uh, as well as your mentors. And I, I think my kind of final question mm -hmm. for you is, are, is there uh, a single person or a group of people that you are dedicating this podcast to? Well, honestly, I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this for myself, but in a way that I'm, I'm looking for the thing that we all want. I think, you know, everything comes down to love, right? I think art can, can, make us aware of love and I think that the people okay so let me take a step back so when we work with Russell Granite he talked a lot about um the work this research project that um Project Zero did Steve Seidel um looked at the qualities of quality of working in uh, as a teaching artist or working in arts education and the one thing that they couldn't necessarily quantify was love the work that we do is giving love. The work that uh, a kid feels when they're creating, uh, it's not the same, I'm sorry, I'm not saying this right, but like there's a, there is a, there is a sense of love in seeing art, being in a theater, lights down, lights up on stage and something happens and there's a wonder, right? And that same kind of wonder in, terms of being in an art experience and then being in a place like a classroom that is supposed to be dedicated a dedicated space for learning that it can feel sort of rigid but that you can translate that space into a creative space there's there's love inherent in that so I'm dedicating this to people who don't feel like there's enough love in the world Thank you, Courtney. Do you have any, any final, final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, what people can expect. Great. So this, you know, I feel like this, this is like, uh, you know, birth and a child a little bit. Um, what has, 
what where we start with this podcast is definitely with people that I know and have worked with. Um, they are uh, pretty amazing people, um, and and frankly, my friends. Um, but I'm hoping to be able to uh, find a way to reach people and have people uh, be interviewed who are of different genders, of different art disciplines, and not necessarily only in New York, but um, across the country and, and over time around the world. Um, I want to, I want to find a way uh, in a, in some small way with this podcast to build a community um, there, we have a website, we will have a, a website and, you know, there'll be blogs and opportunities, hopefully, um, whether it be on social media or, uh, within the scope of this podcast to be able to really connect and network and meet people and learn more. Um, we'll definitely have links to people's own websites so you can learn more about them. And, uh, as other things come up, like, um, other entities and organizations that could be a resource, we will definitely bring them up. I just want to also say that uh, I sit on many boards. I'm the president of the board of the Association of Teaching Artists, which is a, a beautiful uh, uh, resource. It has a website. It uh, has a, a amazing Facebook page that daily, on a daily basis, is um, sharing resources and articles and information and job postings. Um, I'm proud to be a part of that. I obviously I work at the new victory theater. That is a, a wonderful place. I've been there for almost 14 years now. And obviously, you know, I don't think people work for places for, uh, that long if you don't love where you work. Um, I also have been involved with the New York city arts and education Roundtable, Um, and they are an, a tremendous organization that provides a lot of programming for all, uh, people in theater or sorry, arts education across the disciplines, um, and has a really, uh, lovely focus on, on teaching artists as well. Um, there's also teaching artist, uh, uh, the teaching artist guild, which is actually focused, um, sorry, based in, um, the West coast, but, um, also has a very strong focus on teaching artists and, um, is, is working to be national. Um, there are lots of organizations and resources out there. You just have to search for them, but as much as we can point to that, um, on our website, we will. And, um, that is my, my hope for this podcast is to be a place where you can learn, where you can grow, where you can contribute eventually, um, either as a listener or somebody who's sitting on my couch, um, and beyond. And I really hope that people feel, uh, inspired by the people that I feel inspired by as we embark on this journey together. And, um, I want to just give a shout out to, um, my wonderful collaborators, Ben Weber, who graciously is interviewing me for this and is the, uh, a producer for the, the producer for this, um, project, but also has been pushing me to make sure that I, um, don't chicken out <laughs> as well as, you know, really just helping me to define and refine why I wanted to do this project and how to do this project, um, and to give this up into the world. Uh, I want to give, um, I want to thank, uh, Christopher Riss Totten, who is our content manager and is definitely behind a lot of the fantastic writing that you'll see <laughs> in many places. Um, and John O. Wildman, who, um, wrote the 
theme music for teaching artistry with Courtney Body and um, Tim Palin, who will have created our um, logo and um, really the amount of support that I've gotten from my like moment of like Eureka podcast to where we are now has been, um, well, I'm feeling the love. Way deep down you hear the sound of your own unique machine The gears and tears that turn for years working behind the scenes Let's stoke the fires, trip the wires, go down and wake the feast Cause the world needs legends to up and it needs people like you and me Let's start it up now, let's start it up now, let's start it up now Let's start it up now.